After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. And so, Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what this, this story means to us, Lord. As we celebrate this time of year, we are just remembered, uh, reminded, Lord, of just that the greatest gift that was ever given. Lord, that we celebrate this time of year for you. Lord, it's not about what we get. Lord, it's not what we can give, Lord. But it's been what you gave. The sacrifice that you made, Lord. That you chose to come, Lord, humbly as a babe. Lord, in weakness, in meekness. Lord, in innocence. And so, Lord, we just want to celebrate you this morning. Lord, we want to invite you in this place, Lord, that you would be high and lifted up here. So, Lord, would you honor the reading and the studying of your word this morning. Lord, would you go before us during this time. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a stir begins as soon as Christ is born. He hasn't spoken a word. He hasn't wrought a single miracle. He hasn't proclaimed a single doctrine, but when Jesus was born at the very first, while as yet you hear nothing but infant cries, you can see nothing but infant weakness, still his influence 
upon the world is manifest. When Jesus was born, there came wise men from the east. There is infinite power, even in an infant savior. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem and people are beginning to respond. They're beginning to respond to the Messiah's birth. And this morning, I want to look at, at three different responses we see to Jesus's birth. Three different responses by three different people groups. As usual, if you're a, a note taker, if you're an outliner this morning, we have three things we're going to look at. I'll give you the three things up front, and then we'll drop back and we'll look at them individually. The first being these wise men. We're going to look at the wise men. We're going to look at Herod the Great. And we're going to look at these uh, religious leaders. So the wise men, Herod, and the religious leaders. So let's take a look at that first thing this morning. These wise men. The wise men came from the east to worship Jesus. Verses 1 and 2 of our text says, But now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, that behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. So wise men from the east have come to worship Jesus. And I think that's significant, that the first response, the first response we have to the birth of Christ is worship. It's worship. Jesus is born in Bethlehem of Judea, or, or um, Judah, the, the southern kingdom. Bethlehem was about um, five miles south of the city of Jerusalem. In fact, uh, Luke's gospel tells us that they were living in the city of Nazareth, Nazareth was 75 miles to the north, but they had to return to their hometown of Bethlehem because the census decreed by Octavian, or uh, better known as Caesar Augustus, so they went to Bethlehem to be registered. Jesus being born in Bethlehem fits, fits Jesus perfectly, doesn't it? I mean, not just because it fulfills prophecy, which it does, right? Micah 5.2 tells us that he was to be born in Bethlehem. But how about for what Bethlehem means? You know, Bethlehem is a, is a compound word in the Hebrew. It's uh, Baeth, which is the Hebrew word for house, and Lachem, which is the Hebrew word for bread. So Baeth Lachem. Bethlehem, house of bread. Jesus was born in the house of bread. And we know what Jesus said in John 6, 35. One of Jesus' I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. Right? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Who, he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. 
the bread of life being born in the house of bread. It also says that he was born in the days of Herod the king. More on him in a few minutes. So he's born in Bethlehem during the days of Herod the king. And it says wise men came from the east. Wise men. Magi. These magi, these wise men would have been most likely astronomers, astrologers, mathematicians. In fact, that word magi goes back, if you were to read the, um, the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, it goes back to Daniel's book. It says that Daniel was the chief administrator of the wise men, of the magi. And so these, these wise men are coming to seek Jesus. You know, not to throw shade on the nativity scene, but if you have one at home, I mean, I know I do. Unfortunately, your nativity scene is biblically inaccurate. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention three wise men. Right? We commonly refer to the three wise men, or sometimes they're referred to as the three kings. They're also not referred to as kings in the Bible. So we get three from the three gifts that were offered, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it's also interesting to note, we want to jump down to verse 11, that they weren't even there at the birth. They weren't even there. Right? Look at verse 11. It says that they came to the house where the young child was. Not an infant in a manger. Sorry, guys. They weren't even there. So, if you want your nativity scene at home to be more biblically accurate, take your three wise men, perhaps go to the store and buy some more of them, because I'm thinking there was probably more of them. Toss them out into your yard somewhere. And then maybe like once a week, go out and kind of move them closer to the house. Maybe say like sometime around September, bring them into the house and have them meet Jesus. Think about it, guys. Then you can celebrate Christmas all year long. But these wise men, they came from the east, possibly from Mesopotamia, probably from ancient Babylon, ancient Persia, right? If these are truly descendants from the chief, uh, from the, the Magi that Daniel was the chief administrator over, they're probably in that area, some thousand miles away. In fact, if we go back to, to Daniel, right, if you remember in 605 B.C. that, that Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and exiled Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, better known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they were taken to, Daniel, uh, to Babylon, and Daniel in, in Daniel 2.48 says that the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator 
over all the wise men in Babylon. So these wise men very well may have known and been expecting the Messiah to come on the scene. You know, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel talks about the ancient of days. You know, these men were probably familiar with the prophecies of Daniel. They were probably familiar with Daniel chapter 9. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks, 62 weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. I believe these wise men probably knew some of the teachings of Daniel. You know, if they're descendants of, of the wise men that Daniel was, was chief over, they probably knew these things. They were probably expecting these things. And if they're truly astronomers, astrologers, mathematicians, right, if they're familiar with the night sky, you know, if you want an accurate date, the stars in our night sky is the most accurate form of dating there is. In fact, you can even go back at any point in history and know what the alignment of the stars were on that day. So I can imagine these, these guys putting it together, right? Seven weeks and 62 weeks or 69 seven-year periods of time or eight, uh, 483 years, right? I'm sure they knew that in secular history that King Artaxerxes had given that command to Nehemiah, right? March 14th, 445 BC. So they can take that date and start fast-forwarding, right? 483 years, and they were probably expecting someone to come on the scene. They would have been expecting and looking for the Messiah. So, so it says that these wise men are looking for he who was born king of the Jews. It says that they came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. They're looking for him. They're seeking him out. And they're already proclaiming him as king. See, most people are born princes, right? And they get raised up as king one day. Well, these wise men are saying, no, we're looking for the one who's been born king. Interesting, they're not looking for Herod. Herod claims to be king of the Jews. He's been given the title king of the Jews. You see, but Herod wasn't born king. Herod wasn't born king, no. Herod was given the title king, but he was given that title, again, by Mark Anthony and Octavian when they convinced the Senate to make him king in Judea. But even still, he was really only a vassal king. He was just a puppet for them. So these wise men go to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? You know, it's interesting. It says, for we have seen his star in the east and have come 
to worship him. They've seen his star in the east. You know, we have this, this star that is mentioned, and, you know, we don't know exactly what these wise men saw, right? It's hard to pinpoint exactly what they saw because we weren't there. We're not the ones that saw it. You know, some, there's some interesting thoughts out there. You know, some people think that it was an angel. You know, perhaps Gabriel, he's the one that's been going f- before the birth of Christ, announcing these things, and very well could be. You know, there, there are places in the Bible where angels are called stars. Others think that, that this was some sort of aligning of planets. You know, some say it could have been Jupiter and Saturn coming into alignment, or, or another popular theory is that uh, Jupiter and Venus, you know, around that time period, that there was this, this aligning of, of Jupiter and, and Venus. And, you know, they speculate that, um, you know, because from, you know, from when we look at the night sky, you know, we see the other planets in our solar system, they just look like the other stars. You know, when Jupiter and, and Venus come together, it would have been the brightest thing in the night sky other than the moon itself. And so some think that maybe that's what they saw. I don't know. We can't know, right? All we know is that they saw something and they followed it. You know, it is, it is interesting when you dig into the Greek a little bit that there is this phrase called ente anatole, right? In the east. Three times it's, it's, we have this phrase Right in verse 1, we have that these wise men came from the east. Then in verse 2, we have them seeing this star in the east. And then again in verse 9, right, the star that they had seen in the east. Right? And it's a Greek phrase called um, ente anatole. And what's interesting is that it's, it's, strictly speaking in the Greek, it's not the word east. In the Greek, it's in the rising which is oftentimes referred to the east because the sun rises in the east. But what's interesting is that in verse 2 and in verse 9, that word anatole is in the singular. So the rising. But then in verse 1 when it says the wise men that came from the east, that word anatole, it's actually anatolin. It's in the plural sense. So risings, plural. So typically, as I understand it, that when it's, when it's talking about risings, plural, it's talking about the many risings of the sun in the east. So it's when it's in the plural, it's more accurately interpreted as the east. But when it's in the singular form, it's probably referring to the rising. So it could be that these wise men saw something rising on the horizon in the east. You know, it is interesting when you, when you look at some ancient history and especially... You know, the astrologers, again, that phrase, ente anatole, was a phrase used by, by ancient astrologers to refer to when the planet, like a planet, specifically usually Jupiter, is seen right before the sun crests the horizon, right? Once the sun crests the horizon, right, the brightness of the sun dwarfs out anything else. But just before that, sometimes you can see, like, the planet Jupiter, right before the sun rises, and maybe that's what these wise men saw, 
right, at the rising, right, when Jupiter rose. And a lot of times in ancient history, that usually meant that someone of importance had been born. And again, this is all just speculation. But these wise men saw something. They were looking for something. They were seeking Jesus, the one born King of the Jews. And whatever the Lord chose to use, whether it be an angel, whether it be a star or an alignment of planets or whatever it was, the point is, is these men were looking for it. Are we looking for Jesus this morning? Are we seeking him out? Are we searching for him in our lives? These men were searching him out. Whatever the case is, the point is simple. These men came seeking Jesus, and to what point? To worship him. These men traveled from probably a thousand miles away to worship him. That's why I make the joke about throwing your wise men out in your front yard, but they traveled a great distance to get there. Right? This was no small thing. These guys uprooted their lives to find Jesus. Are you willing to uproot your life for Jesus? The one born king? It says they were coming to worship him. Again, let's get into the Greek a little bit. That word worship is the Greek word proskuneo. Proskuneo. You can almost speak it into English. To prostrate. Right? These guys aren't just coming to sing a couple songs to Jesus. No, they are prostrating themselves before him. Proskuneo literally means to prostrate oneself to pay homage. Listen, guys, worshiping the Lord is more than just singing a couple songs. It involves all that we are and all that we do. Right? These guys uprooted their lives, traveled a thousand miles to Jerusalem seeking the king of the Jews. says in verse 11 that when they had come into the house, again, not the manger, right? They had come to the house. They saw the young child, right? Not an infant. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. When they, had, when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice what these wise men do and notice the order of it. First, they came to the house, and they fall down in worship, right? That they prostrate themselves before him. What was that scene like, right? These guys probably travel in a big caravan, right? They were obviously wealthy. They were obviously, weather, um, obviously learned. These guys come into the house. I can imagine like Joseph and Mary looking out the window going, what is going on out there? And these guys come in, and they fall down. And worship a toddler. Picture that. 
What was that scene like as they fall down on their knees and begin to worship a toddler? And I'm not saying he wasn't worthy of it. Of course he was worthy of it. I'm just trying to get you to picture the scene, what it must have looked like. They're not worshiping Mary and they're not worshiping Joseph. They're worshiping the little toddler Jesus in his terrible twos, (laughs) if he had them. But then notice what else they do. It says they opened up their treasures and presented him gifts. And that's my point, right? That worship goes beyond just singing songs, beyond just falling down before him. That they give to Jesus out of their sustenance. Again, worship is more than just singing a few Christmas carols because it's Christmas time. It involves what we can give, what we can offer unto Jesus, the gifts that we bring. Listen, family, if we're coming to church so that we can receive something, if we're coming to church because of what I can get, at the end of the day, we're going to be sorely disappointed. If that's the sole reason we're coming, I'm not saying we shouldn't come to receive from the Lord. We absolutely should. But if that's the only reason we're coming, we're going to be disappointed. You know, I really hope they sing that song that I like. I mean, it just ministers to my heart. Really hope they turn the heat up. I don't want it cold in the sanctuary. I really hope no one's in my seat. After all, I sit there each and every week. That's my spot. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for this one. Really hope I can get out on time. The Patriots are playing. I got to see the game. It's all right. They played last night. They won. We're good. (laughs) You can edit that part out. You know, I I really hope the pastor's sermon isn't too short. Don't worry, it won't be. Listen, if you're coming to church just for what you can get, you're missing the point. But if we're coming to give, God, what can I offer you this morning? How can I be in service to you? And isn't it interesting? When we come to give, that's when we get. That's when God says, how can I bless you this morning, servant, child? That is worship. That's what it means to worship. It's coming and saying, God, I am yours. What do you require of me? These guys probably had everything that they needed, yet they uprooted their lives, traveled across the continent, to bow down and worship before a two-year-old and to give him treasures. These wise men came to worship a king. And notice, notice the gifts they give. Right? Gold, 
frankincense and myrrh. There's been all kinds of speculation and all kinds of fanciful things on what it might mean, right? Gold is a gift fit for a king. Frankincense was a priestly offering. Interestingly enough that oftentimes frankincense was, was crystallized and it had to be crushed before the fragrance would come out. Interesting picture there. Myrrh, a common burial spice, right? So, you know, there's this neat picture there where we see the kingship of Jesus in the gold. We see the, 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 the priest in the frankincense, his, his priestly office and his life lived out. And then obviously we see his death in the myrrh. You know, but maybe it's much more simpler than that. You know, perhaps maybe these gifts were given to finance a trip to Egypt, right? Remember that when they went to dedicate Jesus, that, that they didn't have the lamb. They couldn't afford the lamb for the sacrifice, that they offered two turtle, turtle doves, right? This isn't a wealthy family. You know, Jesus wasn't born into a well-to-do household. They didn't have anything. But yet they are told by Joseph in a dream that they need to flee to Egypt. But they can't afford the plane ticket. But isn't it interesting right, that these wise men show up, right? not when he was born, they show up later. And isn't it interesting the way the Lord works, that they show up in Jerusalem, so now Herod is like, wait, what? Who's this king? Right, because they show up to Jerusalem, the city of David, where the king should be. And they're like, no, he's not here. And we're going to get to this in a moment, but the religious leaders already know. Like, no, he's in Bethlehem. That's what Micah 5.2 says. That's where he is. And so these wise men go to Bethlehem to worship their king. And the point is simple, that these gifts were fit for a king. Because he is worthy of their worship. You know, whether these gifts were to paint this nice picture of, of Jesus' earthly ministry and death, or whether they were given to, to finance a trip to Egypt, whatever it was, from the point and the perspective of these magi, it was to worship their king. And again, these guys are probably coming from Mesopotamia somewhere out in, in, in where ancient Babylon was. Right? They're not there in Jerusalem worshiping God every, every week. But they traveled from afar to worship him. So let's look at that second person we want to consider this morning. We, we've looked at these wise men. Let's consider Herod. Herod, king of the Jews, better known as Herod the Great. Herod was troubled by him. These wise men worshipped him. Herod was troubled by him. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. We've already mentioned that Herod was appointed king of the Jews. Because he was appointed, right? Because he was just really a vassal king for, 
for, um, for Caesar Augustus, right? He was just appointed by Rome to rule over Judea. This made him very insecure and very paranoid. He was afraid anyone might take his title. Herod considered himself Jewish, although he was not. He was actually an Edomite, descendant of Esau, which is actually interesting when you go back to Rebecca, right? Two nations warring within her. You've got Jesus and you've got Herod, a descendant of Jacob and a descendant of Esau at war. Herod was a wealthy and politically gifted, intensely loyal, and an excellent administrator. You know, he was clever enough to remain in power and in the good graces of successive Roman emperors. His famine relief was said to be superb, and his building projects were admired by everyone, including his enemies. See, the Jews didn't like Herod, but Herod also helped rebuild the temple. And it was a modern marvel, the stuff that this guy built. A master builder, a master architect, the Masada, the fortress, the palaces that he built, the aqueducts that he built, and obviously the, the rebuilding of the temple. It's amazing. He even built a seaport in Caesarea, right, named after Caesar, to host the Olympic Games. Herod fell in love with the Olympics, and he brought the Olympics back to Judea, and he built Caesarea to host those Olympics. It's actually rumored that he, he liked the Olympics so well because, because Herod had all the money and all the influence that he was able to get the best athletes, right? So even though people would travel to Judea to participate in these Olympic games, Herod's guys always won. So people stopped coming. What's the point if we're just going to lose every time? And so it's rumored that it might have been him that first introduced first, second, and third place with gold, silver, and bronze medals to entice people to keep coming even though he was going to keep winning. Herod was a brilliant guy, but he was also brutal and ruthless and vicious. He killed his wife. Actually, he had 10 wives. He killed several of them, including his favorite, her grandfather, her brother, three of his own kids. It's said that he killed somewhere between six and 7,000 people under his reign. Talk about paranoid. Josephus tells us that Caesar Augustus said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. So he thought himself Jewish, so he kept kosher. If you want a picture of his brutality, just look at verse 16, right? We know the story, right? When Herod saw that 
He was deceived by the wise men. He was exceedingly angry. He sent forth to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from these wise men. I'm sorry, but that is brutal and that is vicious. Okay, I have a two-year-old at home. Can you imagine some soldier bursting through your door and running a sword through your two-year-old? Because he's been born king of the Jews. He might take your title. That's the response that Herod had to Jesus being born. Verse 3 says that Herod was troubled and that all Judea is troubled with him. With a king like that, yeah, if Herod's troubled, everyone is in trouble. In verses 7 and 8, it says, When Herod had secretly called the wise men to determine from them what time the star appeared, that he sent them to Bethlehem. He says, Go, search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring word to me so that I may go and worship him. You know, but picture the scene, right? Herod's a smart guy, right? He knows what he's doing. You can see him, right? He's... He's, he's, and we're going to get to this in a minute, but he's talked to the religious leaders, right? He's talked to them, and they're like, yeah, Micah 5 too, right? He's, you know, he's, he's, in, he's in Bethlehem. That's where Jesus is to be born, right? The, the religious elite in Jerusalem know that. They know where he is. And then Herod calls in these wise men. And he's sitting there, and he's like, okay, so you mean to tell me that this, this star that you saw, that indicated the birth? Okay, got it, okay. When, when did you see this star? Oh, about, okay. And he does, does the math in his head, right, and says, okay, so if, if I eliminate any child from two years old and younger, that should solve my problem. He has this secret meeting with these wise men to determine when Jesus was born. And he tells them so that he can worship him. But verse 16 tells a different story, doesn't it? But this trouble that Herod has is, again, testimony to the greatness of Jesus. Right? That even as a young child, Jesus of Nazareth is so potent a factor in the world that no sooner is he there in utmost weakness that the now born king right beginning his reign as an infant but before he has a chance to mount a throne friends bring him presents and his enemies compass his death right here's a two year old and on one side you have these wise men that have uprooted their lives and given out of their substance to worship him. On the other end, you have, this, you have this vassal king that wants to destroy him. While these wise men came to worship, Herod was seeking to eliminate Jesus. But isn't it interesting 
that while we celebrate his birth this time of year, that those, there are those that we probably know that would much rather eliminate his fingerprint from this holiday altogether. Right? Did you send out your Xmas cards this year? You take Christ right out of there. But there is a third group that we've alluded to in this passage. It's the religious leaders. See, on one hand, we have people who are worshiping Jesus. On the other hand, we have a man that wants to destroy Jesus. But then we have this, this group in the middle, these religious leaders who are indifferent to him. They're indifferent. Look at verses 4 through 6. And when he, uh, Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. These religious leaders, these scribes and these Pharisees, knew exactly where the Messiah was to be born. And we've already talked about how Bethlehem is five, maybe seven miles south of the city. You mean to tell me that these religious leaders couldn't make a five-mile trip to go meet the Messiah? If you told, if, if someone came to you today, right, and said that Jesus was coming to the mall of New Hampshire, would you go? <laughs> right? The people in the know, the people that know the scriptures won't make the trip. But these wise men will travel across the continent to worship him. This was the first contact that these religious leaders had with their Messiah. They understood the biblical information, but it failed to have application in their lives. Sadly, these experts had all the right information, but they seemed personally uninterested. Uninterested in meeting the Messiah, the King born. May it never be charged against us that we were some spiritual geography, prophecy, theology genius and miss him of whom the scripture speaks of you know I met a man in New York City when I was in high school and I went to I went to a Christian high school and, and every um, every senior class goes to New York City to do this kind of evangelism trip you know we kind of walk the streets of New York City and we just we, we, we talk with people and try and talk to them about Jesus and and, and witness and it's, it's something I've always kind of struggled with is that kind of street evangelism. You know, but I, I, I met this man outside, uh, it was a Radio Shack, and he had uh, a photographic memory. This man had the Bible memorized from cover to cover, right? If you drew 
if you drove a nail through the Bible, he could tell you every word it was going to hit on the way through. And he believes not a word of it. None of it. He had all the information, but not the faith to believe it. These religious leaders had all the information, but they were indifferent to the Messiah being born. You know, every church has its posers. Yeah, I'm a Christian. So are there any single women in your church? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. You have a bulletin board somewhere I can put up my business card? Yeah, I'm a Christian. But I got to be home in time to watch the Pats? Listen. Is your worship really worship? Is your worship really worship? Or have you perfected the art of singing without worshiping? Have you perfected the art of Christian lingo and Christian lip service like these religious leaders have? You know, Herod heard a a good Bible study about the birthplace of the Messiah, but it did him no good. You know, when the earth king dabbles in theology, it bodes him no good to the truth. Herod, among these priests and these scribes, is Herod still? Is the priests still? Some men may be well instructed in their Bibles and yet be all the worse for what they have discovered. Or are we like these wise men? Those who, who look for Jesus will see him. Those who see him will worship him. And those who worship him will consecrate their lives unto him. Amen. You see, we see here three different responses to Jesus. And one may say that all people respond to Jesus in one of these three ways. Herod displayed an open hatred and hostility towards him. And I don't know about you, but I've met some of those people. Right? You can talk about God all you want. You can talk about religion. You can talk about faith. But you mention the name of Jesus, and there becomes an open hostility. Right? His very name gets people read. The chief priests and the scribes were indifferent towards Jesus, all the while, though, maintaining their religious respectability. And these wise men, these wise men sought out Jesus and worshipped him, even at great cost. So I ask you this morning, what is your response to Jesus? What is your response? There are, in closing, there's a a couple things that we can learn from these wise men. These wise men were were not satisfied with just looking at the star and admiring it. That wasn't enough for them. They did something about it. They set out and they followed it. 
Are you content with where you are? Are you content with just admiring Jesus from afar? Or are you searching for more? Do you want more of him? These wise men did. I titled this message, Wise Men Still Seek Him. Also, they persevered in their search in following after the star. Right? I can only imagine from traveling from Mesopotamia to Jerusalem, it wasn't an easy trip, even if you were wealthy. But they persevered. Has your Christian walk grown weary? Are you willing to push through regardless of the cost so that you can come and worship your king? How about this? These wise men were not discouraged in their search by the clergy. These doubtful religious leaders, isn't it interesting that Sometimes this world can can be discouraging. And oftentimes the discouragement may come from those that we least expect. These wise men came to Jerusalem, right? The city of David, expecting to see a king on the throne, right? And probably expecting to see religious leaders expecting and excited about the birth of the Messiah. And what they found were indifferent leaders. And the amazing thing is, is it didn't discourage these wise men. They were like, we're going to press on anyway, and we're going to go worship our king. They don't have to if they don't want to, but we're going to go, and we're going to worship. It says that they rejoiced at the star. Are you filled with joy this morning? Are you eager to rejoice in him? How about this? When they arrived at the destination that the star had led them to, they entered in. They entered in. Now, I think this is significant. Wherever the Lord is leading you, are you willing to enter into what he has for you? Remember, these wise men traveled to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. And where they were sent was Bethlehem, a little dirty city, right? Bethlehem is is listed at at number three of the top ten biggest tourist disappointments. Yet, it is still one of the best known spots in the world today, and for one reason only, that Jesus was born there. Jesus was born there. Did they get to Bethlehem and go, what are we doing here? Sometimes God can lead us somewhere, can't he, where we say, what am I doing here? Do I really belong here? Is this really for me? But these wise men entered in because God had led them there. Are you willing to enter in this morning? And then notice, not only did they enter in, but what did they do when they entered in? They worshipped. So not just entering into what God has for you, but worshipping him. Falling prostrate before the Lord. 
because he is worthy of it. How about this? They sensed a sense of urgency to worship. Again, they're falling prostrate and worshiping a two-year-old. Right? It's not like they're saying, yeah, he might be born king, but we might wait till he grows up a little bit, kind of grow into that, to that role. No. There's like, there's a sense of urgency here. We may not have a chance to worship him tomorrow. We're going to worship him today. Now, we're going to go. And then lastly, when they worshiped, they gave something. They gave something. In other words, their worship was not just empty adoration. Right? That they gave unto Jesus. What are you willing to give him today? I think the real question is, what do we really have to offer? That's it. That's it, God. Me. You have me. All I can offer you is myself. Take it and use it for your glory. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, for the faith of these wise men. God, let it not be said of us that we are like these religious leaders, but that have, inf- have the information, but no desire to worship. Lord, let it not be said of us like we're like Herod that is hostile towards you. Lord, we want to be like these wise men, seeking after you, to worship you, God, for who you are, for what you've done. God, that you chose to come in innocence. Lord, as an infant, Lord, but deserving of all the worship. So Lord, we thank you this morning. Lord, may we worship you this morning. Lord, we just want to say that we love you. Lord, and would you just go before us the rest of today. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.